0: In the name of the one true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, think with me for just a few minutes this morning about those things that cause us to celebrate. Things that cause us to celebrate. And I'm not just talking about the ordinary things that we find on our calendars, though they are there for good reason and we duly celebrate them in time. What I'm talking about is the unbridled, spontaneous kinds of celebrations in our lives. Those unexpected drops of joy that sometimes fall into our laps, and they cause us to sing, and they cause us to dance, and they cause us to shout. Everybody ready to jump up and be a charismatic church this morning? Okay, good. You should be in that sense, right? Think about perhaps passing that test that you thought you'd failed, an unexpected windfall of cash or a promotion at work, or maybe even your favorite college football team actually making it into a bowl game, but I digress. (laughs) Or how about discovering that you are pregnant with child, like Elizabeth and like Mary. Now to be sure, every child, every single child is a miracle, a blessing and a gift from God. Every single child is that. But it's impossible to overstate the importance of what's happening in today's gospel. And it's almost equally impossible to express it in words that are adequate to the task. Now to help set the stage, God had been silent for centuries no true prophet had been given either to speak a word of correction or direction for centuries. So imagine something like being married for a lifetime and never speaking to your spouse. No comment, please. (laughs) But is not this the very essence of how we know and love one another? Through words. We talk to each other, we speak to one another, we communicate with each other, we share our hopes and dreams, our fears and our failures, we exchange our thoughts, our ideas, and our opinions. And yet God had said nothing for 400 years. If we think of that in one way, as many are want to do even today, it can really bother us. If God isn't talking to us, what must he think of us? And what are we supposed to do now? Think about the number of people in our world for whom that is the operating paradigm. But if we think of it in another way as we're often able to do in hindsight, we can look back and we can see how God was preparing his people even through his silence. We might even say that he was allowing Israel's expectations and yes, even their anxieties to build to a fever pitch so that in the perfect time, he was able to send his son to be born of a woman. In other words, God was waiting until he was ready to act in his way, in his time to fulfill his plan of salvation. And we know this and we take comfort in this. God has always been, in the business of performing miracles, signs and wonders to save his people. In the past, when Israel had been in trouble, God raised his mighty right hand to save them. Parting the Red Sea during the Exodus, you know the narrative, making the water stand up like walls so that the Israelites could pass through providing for them manna in the desert, delivering Daniel from the lion's den, saving Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace, just to name a few of God's miracles in the Old Testament. But now consider this. The sign and the wonder came by another kind of miracle in our story today. It is the miracle of birth. The birth of John the baptizer fits into a theme in the Old Testament. Like her ancient ancestor, Sarah, Elizabeth was barren and beyond the age of birthing. But her very name meant God had sworn. And like Sarah before her, she bore a child. As Isaac had been a child of promise to Sarah, now John would point to other promises of God. Not merely a continuation of the ancestry of Abraham under the old covenant, but a preparation of all people for the coming of the one true king. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us, let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. Should it be any surprise then In fact, should it be anything other than unbridled and spontaneous celebration that when Mary arrives on the scene carrying the Christ child inside of her, that John leaps for joy in Elizabeth's womb, that Elizabeth herself speaks out her praise and Mary breaks out in song. Imagine the moments in human history. They are real, for in Mary's womb rests the greatest miracle of all. Think of this with me. This is our creedal Christianity, the only begotten Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made man. How else would they respond when the fullness of joy was now in their midst? And what is our response, knowing this Jesus has come among us to save us, remember that charismatic thing I was talking about a minute ago? That's okay, that's the kind of spontaneous joy that should inhabit the Christian's hearts because Jesus has come into the world to save us and so that raises the other question, how might we live in our present world that is so darkened by sin and death? We hardly have to even read the newspapers anymore to know it's true, but I wanna suggest three important truths that this story teaches us. First and foremost, this story tells us that God has come among us to save us. To those who wonder about God, whether or not he really exists, and if he does, what's he like, and what exactly might he be doing, the scriptures tell us in no uncertain terms that once upon a time God did in fact come among us. And as the apostle John, an eyewitness of Jesus Christ declares in his gospel, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Think about that. How did God create in the beginning? He spoke by his word, all things came into being and had their existence. God spoke, that's the power of God. All he has to do is say the word and it comes into being. And now John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the new covenant, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We know this, my friends, and we need to take this seriously. No other religious construct claims this kind of God for itself, none, not one. No other rational human being, I use that word intentional, Intentionally, no other rational human being would dare to call himself God. And no other God has ever acted for us in the way that Jesus has, both giving himself to us in the flesh and giving himself for us on the cross. Think of that. God, the God of the universe, first chose to make himself completely dependent upon us in his infancy. He cried. He ate at Mary's breast, completely dependent on, God chose to be completely dependent upon us before he revealed our dependence upon him by his death and resurrection. I ask you this question, what other God has loved us in this way? What other God has given himself to us in order that he might give himself for us? Second, and by extension, and my friends, this is just as important as the first thing I said. God values life. God values life. Every life matters to God. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that it was an unborn child who recognized Jesus in Mary's womb? In a secular world that values choice, the Bible tells us that God values life, every life born and unborn alike. And in this story, my friends, we learn something else about life. From time to time, I speak to the men in the parish and intentionally so, this morning, ladies, it's all about you. Seriously, it's all about the women. In this story, we learn that women, and especially in this case, mothers, you have an incredibly important role to play in the mind of God. You know this, there are some things that women simply can do that men can never do. And one of them is that you carry the precious gift of life in your wombs. Women nurture and feed life in ways that men simply cannot. From the umbilical cord through the birth canal and to the bosom, women prepare life to enter into this world and nurture it through each passing season. I am 51 years old and my mother still tells me this truth. I'm your mom and don't you forget it. I don't even know whether she's here this morning, but I'm not, there she is, (laughs) right? This is what my mom says to me because it's true. She's still my mother. And as Christians, we know that the nurturing of a mother is not for the physical health of the child alone but our God-given responsibility by virtue of our baptism is also spiritual. Teaching and training our children to stand strong in the ways of the Lord. My friends, I cannot emphasize this enough. I just read in the newspaper yesterday, again, about the decline of Christianity in America, that it continues to spiral downward. Don't confuse me with the facts because therein are the opportunities for us to stand up and to stand strong. Train your children in the ways of the Lord, and when they grow old, they will not depart from them. My friends, this is a promise from the mouth of God through the wisdom of the Old Testament directly to us mothers in concert with fathers, we have a God-given responsibility. And why is this true? Because we know this, that when the world, the flesh and the devil come to attack us on every side and they will, we can stand on the promises of God that we have done everything in our earthly power by his divine hand to do what he's called us to do. If you don't believe it's a war out there for the soul of this generation, you have simply misunderstood what's going on in this world. I cannot emphasize that enough. Third and finally, I want to suggest that this passage is saying something very specific to us as a church. I want us to think again about the unborn child John in the womb of Elizabeth and Mary as she arrives on the scene. My friends, they're painting a picture for us by leaping for joy at the arrival of Jesus and by speaking and singing the praises of God. John and Elizabeth and Mary, they serve for us to be an icon, an image of the church, imagining for us our proper response as we encounter Jesus Christ in our lives. And so I recently read a book by Bishop N.T. Wright called The Challenge of Jesus. In it, he articulates the mission of the church and of every single Christian, and with words I will not soon forget, he calls our mission this, and I want us to take this home and put it in our spiritual bank. He calls the mission of the church reflected glory. Okay, let's do that together. He calls the mission of the church reflected glory. Who are we as Christians? Reflected glory. What is our job as Christians? Reflected glory. Okay, I'll do it like they do it in concerts. I can't hear you. Who are we as Christians? Reflected glory. We are reflected glory. N.T. Wright writes this. He says, once we have glimpsed the true portrait of God, the onus is on us to reflect it, to reflect it as a community, to reflect it as individuals. He says, once we see who Jesus is, not only are we summoned to follow him in worship, in love and in adoration, but get this, we are also called to shape our world by reflecting his glory into it that's so provocative and so powerful. He continues, and when we see, as the apostle says, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, and when we rediscover the length and the breadth of what that phrase means, we see and discover this not only for our own benefit, but so that his glory may shine in us and through us. And get this, why, why all of this, why all of this? To bring, he says, light and life to the world that still waits in darkness and in the shadow of death. Who are we? Reflected glory, what is our job? Reflected glory, shining light and life and love into the world that is still waiting, why? Because they are in the bondage of sin and death. And my friends, in just a few short days, this is what we celebrate. The feast of Christmas, and we're right to call it that, but think about it this way. The feast of the incarnation of the Son of God. The feast that tells us that God does not stand far off from us, but he took on our flesh and he became completely dependent upon us showing us our complete dependence upon him reminding of this reminding us of this that amid all of the miracles all of the miracles that God has ever wrought by his own hand his plan all along has to been work has been to work through humanity Of all of the signs and wonders God has ever performed, his plan all along has been to work through humanity. And I wanna leave us with this. You know this. That means we are the light of Christ. Christ is the light of the world. And when this light shines in the darkness, the darkness cannot overcome it. Who are we? Reflected glory. What is our mission as a church? reflected glory, reflect his glory into the world. Let that light shine and the darkness cannot overcome it.